My Mother, The Person and the Patient is an original podcast written and hosted by me, Fortuna Kuso. This podcast is about my mother, Timira Abdesamid Muhammad, Ayeya we call her. That's grandmother in Somali, and her great-grandchildren call her Ayeya too, and that is their way of saying great-grandmother. Soon I realized what my mother was capable of doing and what she thought she was capable of doing were vastly different, and that presented new set of problems. For example, if we had clothes in the washer in the basement, my mother will get up and she'll say, I will go do the laundry. I will move the clothes from the washer into the dryer. That requires her to go down to the basement. So I'll tell her, mom, don't worry about it. I'll go and do the laundry. And she'll say, no, why? I'm already up. I can go downstairs and do the laundry. She would not hold on to the railing. But if I stand there and insist and say over and over again, mom, hold on to the railing, hold on to the railing, she will take the railing and as soon as I stop talking, she would just let it go and keep going down. So clearly, she's just going to do it to shut me up. The challenges kept coming and being layered and layered and layered on top of each other. For example, we're sitting down for dinner and I say, Mom, here's dinner eat. She say, I don't need to eat. I already ate. I'm not hungry. Mom, you didn't eat. This is dinner. Last time you ate was lunch. No, why are you telling me when to eat? I know when I'm hungry and I know I've eaten already. So I don't know why you're bothering me with this. So it was one challenge after another. And if we went to the mall, which I started to take her two, three times uh, a week, she would just walk so fast. And I would tell her, mom, slow down. You're going to fall because at some point I noticed as she's walking, her foot would kind of like, is way before she put it down. So I'm always worried about her losing her balance and falling. But the physical limitation that came with Alzheimer's, she's not adjusting to it. So she refused to use a walker inside the house. She refused to hold on to the railing when she went up and down the stairs. She refused to take my hand if we were um, leaving the house or getting in and out of the car. She refused to slow down for me as we walked. It was a battle. And I could not really understand why this was the issue, why my mother was fighting me over this whole thing of doing this or doing that. I could never have thought about this was part of the Alzheimer's. I just thought my mother was just being belligerent and difficult because if I told her something an hour ago, 10 minutes ago, 15 minutes ago, even a minute ago, and she forgot about it, I could understand that being part of the Alzheimer's. But there was no forgetting. I am standing there and telling her, mom, hold on to the railing and she's refusing to do it. Mom, take my hand as you walk so I can support you. She refuses that. Mom, use this walker. No, I'm not going to use this walker. Mom, here is your medication. No, I don't need medication. I'm not sick. I'm not in pain. Mom, Time to take a shower. I don't want to take a shower. Why are you telling me to take a shower? I just took a shower, just left the shower. No, mom, that was yesterday that you took a shower. Today is a new day. So it's just 
this difficulty of trying to instruct her on anything that stood my way. And I couldn't understand how that was part of the Alzheimer's. I had no idea. It wasn't something that I could go and tell her doctor, this is what's going on with my mother. But because if I said that to the doctor, what would the doctor do for me? So I didn't even bother to go to her doctor because there was really no medication for being difficult. So I just tried to survive it and try to tell her every day, mom, we're not doing this. We're doing this. Mom, you can't do this. You have to be safe. So my main concern was how can I keep her safe when she is not even listening to me, when she is not, like, I'm not asking her to remember something I told her last hour, even the last minute. I'm asking her to do what I'm telling her right that second. And she's looking at me and she's saying, I do not want to hold on to the railing because I don't need the support. When I can clearly see, she needs the support. So how would I deal with that? That was one of the most frustrating part in dealing with my mother living with Alzheimer's. So that situation going on, one day my mother and I were in the car and we were driving. This major road in the city where we live in, in that road there is a stretch of homes that are older homes, wartime homes that are brick homes, red brick, and they're very small homes. So as we're driving there, my mother says, hey, that is the house where my cousin lived. And I said, what house? And she pointed to one of the homes. And I said, what cousin? And she tells me, my cousin so-and-so lives in that house. Could we maybe stop by when we come back on our way home? And I said, Mom, your cousin lives in Somalia. This is Canada. And my mother looks at me with the utmost seriousness. And she says, are you beginning to forget? And I just died laughing. I started laughing so hard. I had to pull out of the road and stop the car on the side of the road until I was able to collect myself. I was laughing so hard. And my mother is looking at me and thinking, what is wrong with you? Why are you laughing like this? And after five minutes of laughing hysterically like that, I looked at my mother and I told her, yes, mom, I am beginning to forget. And then I came home that afternoon and I started reading, putting on the search engine questions like, how do you deal with a parent living with Alzheimer's that's doing this, that's doing that? So I must have read at least 10 articles and watch the videos. And one message that all those articles and the videos I watched, one message they all agreed was, in order for you to have peace and support your loved one, you have to exist in their world. You cannot bring them back into your world and have that logic. They live in a different world. You have to go in there and live in that world with them. That's the only 
where you can achieve peace. If you try to bring them back to the world you're in, then you're not going to be able to do it. So that was the message I got. And then I made the decision that day that I am going to move into the world my mother lives in. And it hasn't been easy. And it's not easy even to this day. And I find myself so many times trying to correct my mother, trying to redirect her. But every time I do that, I remind myself, I won't be able to bring my mother back into my world. The only option I have is to move into hers with her. For example, instead of telling her, mom, you're going to fall, you can't go downstairs to get the laundry, I started telling her, how about I go grab the laundry from the dryer and you fold it and put it away because I really do not like folding and putting away the laundry. If we're walking in the mall and she's walking too fast, instead of telling her, mom, don't walk too fast, you're going to fall, I would tell her, uh, Mom, I'm really tired today and I want to walk with you. Can we maybe walk a little bit slower? And that doesn't work all the time, but it does so much better than when I was telling her, Mom, slow down, you're going to fall. Mom, hold on to the railing, you're going to fall. Mom, don't go to the basement, you're going to fall. Mom, eat your food because it's dinner time. Now I say, Mom, do you want to eat now or you want to eat in half an hour? Do you want to eat the salad first or you want to eat the rice first? So I kind of like work with her and give her an option. And sometimes she will say, I don't want the rice. And she will just want to eat the salad. And I have to live with that. Sometimes she will say, I want to have eggs for dinner, even though I had rice. As soon as I decided that I am not going to fight her, I found that has made all the difference. When you listen to how we arrived at my mother's diagnosis and what followed, it's so easy to see her just as the patient, to see her as nothing more than the disease that reduced her to shell of her old self. But I want also to tell you about my mother, the person, the fierce woman that told her stories unapologetically, celebrating the beautiful parts and harsh realities equally. I want to share with you the stories she told us about her life as a girl growing up in a small village, the tales that marked her adulthood. I want to share with you all her losses and the ultimate winnings. The following is one of those stories reconstructed from my childhood memory. It was late afternoon the following Sunday when Timira and her family arrived back in their village. The place that felt ordinary, backward and limiting four months ago oozed comfort now. The hunger exhaustion and misery that filled them in the city melted away at the sight of their homestead. It must have rained non-stop for days because every inch of the village exuded the heavenly aroma of wet earth. The ground was covered with greenery, 
mainly unwanted growth in places where crops should have been planted at the beginning of the rainy season, but the lush beauty filled Timur's eyes and soul with so much joy all the same. She let go of her father's hand for the first time since the execution. From the moment they left the field, the gunfire that propelled the accused mother and her son upward rang in her ears constantly. Even in her sleep, she held on to her father like a glue. Her fingers were wrinkly from the moisture of his grip. She took off her sandals, her arms wide spread and eager in an extended flight. She ran through the tall grass laughing. Farah followed her, chasing after her. Timira called for their father to join them. He didn't. He was different from their mother in that way. She would have joined them in their joy if she had been there, laughing louder than them. In the middle of their flight, she'd stop and hold her belly, pretending she couldn't move only to jump ahead of them and yell, I win, I win, at the top of her lungs. Their mother could turn into a child in the middle of her cooking or working on the grinding stone at the sight of Timira and her brothers running about. Timira's mother didn't care who heard. Other women in the neighboring homestead would nudge at each other when they saw her playing with her children. They would point at her, mocking her childish ways. Timira loved how that never bothered her mother. The more the other woman stared at her, the more she insisted on wrestling Timiro to the ground, dust covering their dresses. Baba, come! Farah and Timiro continued to run faster and faster from one end of the field to the other and back again until they flopped under the tree, tired but happy. Despite the villagers abandoning Timira and her family in the camp, now they came together to help them settle back into their homestead. Everyone, even children as young as Farah, came out. The elder organized people in groups. The women, including girls a little older than Timira, were asked to clean the home, wash the clothes, and cook for the family. The men took to repairing the outhouse, the well, the barn, the cow shed, the chicken coop, and the cooking shed. They donated seeds and helped Timiro's father plant. She felt the smiles that came their way were genuine and kind, unlike the whispers of the untold curse that worried them when they were in the camp. Now they could offer support in the comfort of their homestead and tucked away from the city's horror, they could afford to smile. By the end of the second week, their house was clean and crops were planted. Each morning, one or two women would come by and ask Timira's father if they needed help with anything. The family took the help with open arms at first, Women helped make the morning bread, cook the midday meal, and have the tea ready. 
after a while, to Timiro, their friendly gestures turned into a reminder of what they had lost. It was constant evidence of her mother's untimely departure. At least that's how it made her feel, for she didn't dare ask how her father or Farah saw it. Her dread was too heavy for her without taking on theirs. Abo, tell the elder we don't need help anymore. It was close to a month after they came to the village when Timira gathered enough courage to say that to her father. We can take care of ourselves. She wasn't sure if her father was ready to cut that support, but she was more than ready. I don't like them coming here all the time. Timira never found out if her father told the elder but the woman continued to come. When one or two approached early in the morning, Timira's stomach would rise to her throat, restricting her breathing. She would run to the outhouse heaving. After two weeks of emptying her stomach only to face it again in the cooking shed, she decided to deal with it herself. One morning, at the end of the second month, she waited by the main door to the house. Her father was next to her, working on a broken doorpost. Do you need washing? The woman spoke to Timira's father in a soft voice. I could do it this afternoon if you like. I could do the wash, Timira said before her father responded. He didn't contradict her which made Timira happy even though she wasn't sure how her father felt about her action. I only need help braiding my hair later today, she said with a smile that announced victory. Timira felt her mother standing next to her for the first time since she left them, encouraging her to stand her ground like she would have done in this situation. Thank you for all your help these past weeks, Timira added. The woman turned to Timira's father with raised eyebrows. Are you sure? she asked. Timira's father didn't answer, and her confidence to speak her mind doubled in size in his silence. I also would like to learn how to use the grinding stone and make the bread. She stepped closer to the woman. She wouldn't tell anyone this, of course, lest they think she'd gone mad. But she felt as if her mother was standing behind her and pushing her forward. She almost heard her mother say, Stand tall and keep your shoulders squared. I could have my daughter braid your hair, the woman said after recovering from the shock of hearing a child address her in such a way in the presence of a parent. And we will teach you all you need to know about cooking. Thank you. That's all we need, Timira said to the woman. And thank you again. You had been a great help. Timira waited until the woman was far enough that she couldn't overhear her. Abo? She called her father. He turned to her with vacant eyes. 
the empty gaze he wore from the day they lost Isaac, which grew more pronounced after her mother's departure, stared back at her. The sight of his forlorn expression startled her at first, and she waited for it to disappear. She wanted the usual sparkle to return to her father's eyes, but it didn't. Like her brother, mother, and her childhood, her father's happy personality was lost forever. Are you mad at me for telling the woman not to come? Her father didn't respond, and she couldn't tell if it hurt her or not. I learned how to do everything. We can't depend on their help forever. We will be okay, her father said. He pulled Timira close and kissed her on the top of her head. We will be. The woman stopped coming. Instead, Timira went to their homes, visiting their cooking sheds to learn things her mother didn't bother to teach her. No one seemed to have an issue with her determination to be the caretaker of her family. The villagers praised her for taking the loss in stride and helping her father. Your poor father, the woman assigned to teach her how to use a stone grinder for the morning bread said mournfully, to be left alone with two little ones without a wife. I'm not a little one. Timira sat up straight to show her size. I am a grown woman of twelve. And in need of a mother more than your brother, the woman said. It was true. Timira missed her mother so much. But she didn't think she needed her more than her brother. He's the youngest. Every girl needs her mother to teach her how to manage a home and raise a family, how to be a wife. I don't want to be a wife. The gull of pain in the bit of her stomach, a reminder of her mother's betrayal in leaving when she did, opened with such remarks. In the darkest of nights, all Timira wanted was to hear her mother's childish giggle one more time. I don't blame you. The woman adjusted her seat on the stool and poured a handful of grain into the opening of the grinding stone. With your mother's action, you might as well not be a wife. In all the comments from this woman and all the others, there was this underlying message that her mother had done such a despicable act for not raising her right and leaving when she done. And your poor father, another woman visiting the first one, added, How is he to find a wife now? Timira resented her mother for abandoning her, but she never thought about the depth of her father's loss before she had heard that comment. In her child's mind, she hadn't seen them as a husband and a wife, but as her parents, two people who were put on this earth to take care of her, only to face the reality that one of those people quit at the beginning of this horrible game called life. He is, is stuck, I tell you, the woman continued. Perhaps she confused Timira's darkening expression as one needing more explanation. 
two children and only few heads of cattle on a parcel of land, what would a new wife get? The woman presented Timida with a new problem. She wished she could shut this woman up. Of course she couldn't say that to her. In the village, talking back to your elders was a crime. Timida busied herself with the motion of the grinding stone as it went in a perpetual circle. He'll have to remain unattached. The woman walked over to Timira and rested her hand on her shoulder. At least he has you to help. Her tone was softer now. You're doing more than your mother did. The woman's praise at the beginning of that sentence was lost by the end. My mother is not here. Timida looked up at the woman in defense of her mother, even though she agreed with her. Deep down, she knew her mother abandoned them, but she wasn't going to tell that to this woman. You shouldn't speak ill of the dead. Timida held the woman's gaze for a long moment. You don't suppose I want to hear how bad my mother was? How she'd abandoned her family in the middle of the crisis? Her untimely departure when we needed her the most? By the time she finished speaking, Timira was standing up, her face only inches away from the woman's. All the anger and resentment she'd held for all the underhanded comments against her mother since her leaving came in one wave. She is my mother, no matter her flaws. She was. The woman was shocked at hearing Timira speak to her in such a way. She is, Timira said, unless you have another mother for me. She dusted the flower off her hands. She's right, you know. Another woman in the back corner of the cooking shed spoke for the first time. Timira saw the woman smile a little from one comment to the other earlier, but she remained quiet up to this point. You can't expect this child to hear horrible things about her mother and take it. I spoke the truth. The first woman wasn't backing down. You saying it's true doesn't make it so, Timida said as she collected her flour, the grinding stone, and the grain sack. I heard you spoke your mind today, Timida's father said to her that afternoon when he came home from working the field. Timira expected him to chastise her for talking back to adults. He didn't. Everyone is talking about how big your mouth is, like your mother. He smiled for the first time in months, as if his wife's memory gave him joy. Hersey's son overheard you and came and told me. The news about the ungrateful, loudmouthed child must have traveled fast. Are you mad at me? Timiro paid close attention to her father's expression. I'm not going back to their homes. We'll eat the mess until I learn by doing. You have so much of your mother in you. Her father laughed. 
loud and full laughter that warmed Timiro all over. The usual sparkle flashed across his face for the first time since the loss. You certainly are your mother's daughter. Timiro joined him in laughter. My mother, the person and the patient can be found in all your podcast streaming apps or head to my website fortumacuso.com to listen to the entire season. Please do not forget to listen, like, share, and follow. And join me next week as I share with you another episode of my mother's journey as both the person and the patient. Thank you. Thank you.